Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. An article that recently ran as a science and health feature in The Nation titled, These Pharmaceutical Companies Are Making a Killing Off the Opioid Crisis, outlined how companies have seized the opportunity to profit from the crisis by exploiting skyrocketing demand for naloxone. Here to talk about that and what can be done to solve this problem is Daniel Denver, a fellow at Harvard Law School's Fair Punishment Project and the host of The Dig, a podcast from Jacobin Magazine. So, Daniel, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Between 1996 and 2014, a CDC report estimated that 27,000 lives were saved with naloxone. Today, the number of opioid overdoses continues to grow, yet few people, uh, a lot fewer people actually, now have access to naloxone due to numerous price hikes by the manufacturers. Now, you've written extensively on this trend. How did, how did this start? Um, well, I'm not clear exactly where it started, but what um, people who, experts who've looked at it have noted is that the price of naloxone has gone up alongside the overdose rate. So um, it seems to me and to many others to be a reasonable, reasonable inference that pharmaceutical companies are exploiting the rising demand, which, not to uh, paper over it, is the rising number of people who need naloxone to not die. Um, they're exploiting that rising demand by rising by raising their prices to exploit people's need to take naloxone to not die for profit. Um, that's what it certainly looks like. Boy, it sure does. So, and you cite some very specific examples of how companies are exploiting that demand in your uh, in your article. I I, I think the most egregious um, was on the naloxone auto injector device. That's a design for easy use for laypersons. That jumped from six hundred and ninety dollars to uh, for two doses. That is to over four thousand dollars. I I just. How, how can a manufacturer justify that? How did they justify that? Yeah, I mean, that price hike is so extreme that it's almost comical if, if it wasn't, you know, uh, costing people's lives. Um, you know, I, they, they generally uh, don't justify it except saying that they're uh, 
they tend to point to discounts that they provide to government and nonprofit groups. But the thing is, that's not out of out of charity. It's like a pretty basic concept in economics called price discrimination. It's the same reason that they're senior citizen and student discounts at the movie. Uh, that's not because uh, Cineplex Odeon or whatever the movie, big movie chains are today. It's not because they have um, some soft spot for for elderly people and and youth. Um, it's because it's it's an economic uh, uh, business practice. Uh, the idea of which is to um, have is to sell a product to a group of people at the price um, that you can maximize profits from that group of people from. So um, uh, that's what that's what the discount prices are to government and to nonprofit groups. It's not it's not charity. They're trying to maximize the, the, the profit to different buyers at different price points. But that's what they tend to point to um, in defense of their outrageous list prices. So, as one of your interviewees pointed out, that this all seemed to take place about the time when many states issued standing orders enabling anyone to purchase naloxone without a prescription. And, and um, in your article, you said it at first blush, the price hike was perplexing because naloxone, it's far from brand new. There's generic versions of the injectable form of it that have been available since 1985. So, you know, you would think that competitive markets or competitive forces in the market would hold down those prices. But something happened to the competition here. Can you describe that? Um, well, there's there's just not enough competition, apparently, and the government has not played its role to come in um, and, and fix that by um, either um, negotiating lower prices directly for uh, purchase by government or by um, producing naloxone itself. Um, if we, um, if this is the crisis that everyone seems to agree that it is and that it most obviously is given the extraordinary number of people dying, um, you'd think that the government would be doing everything that it could to lower prices instead of just um, waiting for the so-called free market to take care of it because it obviously hasn't. I mean, there are a handful of, uh, of companies producing um, the injectable vial form. Um, and then there is Kaleo, which has the, the auto injector. Um, and then I think pretty importantly, there's, there's Narcan, the nasal spray made by Adapt. Um, people do use uh, the, the other, other forms of um, naloxone to sort of jerry-rig a nasal spray. That's, that's common. But Adapt makes a very easy-to-use nasal spray that came on the market, I believe, in 2015, um, and they haven't raised their prices, but they've kept their product at a fairly high price, and I think one question that the public should be asking about that is how they can justify that price given the investment that the National Institute on Drug Abuse, which is part of NIH, made in the development of the drug in terms of designing um, its, its clinical trials. Um, I asked NIDA how 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 much in the way of public funds went into um, the development of Narcan? They would not give me a response. That's something that um, 
any research-minded listeners of yours with some time on their hands uh, should definitely look into foyering. Um, I think it might be might be findable information. Um, but the government is playing the government is playing a role in pharmaceutical development. It's just not um, reaping any benefit on behalf of the public. And again, given what's at stake with the scale of the opioid crisis, overdose crisis, um, this sort of public subsidy subsidy for private profit um, is uh, is all the more outrageous. No doubt about it. So taxpayers fit the bill, and ultimately, you know, typically when a drug manufacturer or anybody raises their prices, part of it is to recoup their costs. But in this case, the taxpayers have paid the cost. Well, at least part of the cost, and we don't know. And we, we certainly, I think, deserve to know what portion of the cost we did pay. Currently, we, we don't know that sure. the answer to that question, unfortunately. So, but President Trump could very easily change all of this by passing, you know, uh, some legislation quickly that un- makes them lower their prices. Why doesn't he do that? Um, yeah, there's uh, the, the authors of the New England Journal of Medicine study that was released last December, which is what initially prompted me to, to start researching this story, um, outlined a number of different things the government could, could do. And one of them is to... Uh, Directly negotiate for the federal government to directly negotiate lower drug prices. They also have the power in an emergency to simply produce drugs themselves and pay patent holders a um, a uh, a reasonable fee. Why doesn't Trump do it? Well, I mean, uh, I think that most of Trump's promises to make America great again have uh, turned out to be pretty empty promises, um, which was not surprising to me but might be a surprise to um, uh, many of support, his supporters if they were to pay close attention. Uh, he talked a really populist game about the forgotten um, working-class Americans um, who he was finally going to deliver for, um, but instead, as we saw with the recent tax legislation uh, that he signed, that the only interest that he's interested in protecting are those of the wealthiest Americans and corporations. So even as his supporters, it's important to emphasize that there, there was a study finding that there is a, there was a correlation between support for Trump and, uh, um, uh, and I believe it was white mortality, uh, increasing white mortality rates in large part driven by the opioid crisis. So his, many of his supporters are getting very, hit very hard for, by, by this overdose crisis. And I think that they should be paying, close attention to why President Trump is saying paying so much attention to defending the interests of the richest Americans um, while his idea for saving uh, um, everyday Americans from opioid overdose is that he's going to have some really great advertising to convince people from not trying drugs in the first place, um, which you know sounds uh, about like it'll work out about as well as just say no has worked since it was rolled out under Nancy Reagan in the 80s. So what else could be done to address the problems with price here and price gouging? It's suggested in your article that, you know, the the real price to to really get it out there and make it accessible to most everybody should be between $1 and $5. So, you know, that's somewhere around, I don't know, 5% of the cost of it currently. What can be done? Yeah, that's what Mark... Mark Kinsley from the, I believe it's the Texas 
overdose initiative uh, or something of that sort. Uh, he's a he's a leading um, figure in the field. He said, I, I believe he said uh, between one and five, closer to one. Um, and um, some of the policy specifics uh, that I've mentioned are the government taking um, action to directly negotiate lower prices um, to produce naloxone itself. Um, there's also, I think, uh, if they were to speed the entrance of, of more competitors into the market, um, that that might help. Um, at the at the end of the day, I, I can't think of a single good reason why a drug that is has been um, available in generic form for so many decades cannot simply be produced directly by the government um, to deal with this crisis that is killing Americans in mass. Because uh, if government has has a role, it seems that it's to um, to to keep people help help keep people alive and healthy, and uh, and that's clearly not what what's taking place right now. Another trend that you noted is that uh, some clinicians are recommending and co-prescribing, in fact, naloxone for their uh, those that are on opioids. Yeah, and that's obviously a uh, a positive development. Um, but uh, as the as the authors of the New England Journal of Medicine article um, from last year noted um, that Evzio, uh, uh, which is made by Kaleo, uh, the auto injector, their price jumped significantly and without explanation the very month before the CDC released guidelines recommending co-prescription of naloxone. So it's a uh, it's a it's a step forward um, for public health, I think, to have naloxone co-prescribed to people at higher risk of overdose. Um, but it's a step forward that's once again being exploited by pharmaceutical companies for profit. Unbelievable. I, I, I mean, it's really, when you look at this and you put everything together that you've reported on in your article, it's, it's absolutely amazing and astonishing that they would, they would up the prices so dramatically as they've done in, uh, in the face of the epidemic as it continues to grow worse. It's just... It's, I, I agree that it's outrageous, but I, I, I wish I could say that it's uh, surprising. Unfortunately, I think it's sort of the, what's to be expected in a healthcare system that's, that's run as a, as a business rather than a social service. There's this idea um, that we need to have this totally free market healthcare system in this country so that businesses will innovate. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I would like to hear the argument of why innovation is so necessary when it comes to naloxone, a drug for which there's been a generic version available for decades. Um, I don't get the argument for innovation in that case. Sure, the nasal spray, but that was co-developed with NIDA. Um, um, I don't get why NIDA couldn't develop that on its own. Or, given that it did support the development of Narcan from ADAPT, why there can't be some sort of responsibility to the public tied in to that financial support received from the public. That's, that's the healthcare system that we have today. 
And uh, it's certainly not um, pharmaceutical company greed is, is by no means unique to the to the opioid crisis, but it's, uh, I think, a particularly galling instance of it, no doubt. So they've also petitioned, apparently ADAPT has petitioned the uh, FDA to, to try and make it more difficult for competitors to come into the market? Yeah, their suggestions were mostly rejected, um, but basically they their petition was uh, pushing the FDA to do stuff like uh, to have very specific criteria about optimal doses of naloxone, things that may or may not have had um, some scientific credibility, but that experts I talked to said were pretty nakedly geared towards um, excluding or making it harder for future um, competitors to enter the market, um, a a market that they, uh, at least in the form of of approved nasal sprays, now occupy by themselves. Um, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was shot down. I'd be very curious, uh, again, if you have any investigative minded listeners, um, uh, I, I, there's probably a lot of yet to be discovered information out there on pharmaceutical companies, um, uh, who are, uh, who produce naloxone on their, um, their lobbying efforts, not only on the federal level but on the state level, um, I would be, I, I would be interested in in seeing people look look into that more. This is just one instance that I uh, ran into. At Daniel's suggestion, we decided to look into how much the six companies who manufacture and sell naloxone were paying lobbyists to lobby Congress on their behalf. We looked them up on OpenSecrets.org, and here's what we found. Between the years 2015 through 2017, they spent a grand total of $7,875,000. That's an average of $2,650,000 per year on lobbying Congress on their behalf. You know, I did did not include this in the story, but I did see that um, ADAPT was was pushing co-prescription legislation in Maryland. And again, co-prescription is a... um, is a good thing, but uh, one one thing that I'd be interested to see is if uh, there's similar co-prescription legislation in various states, and whether such legislation is crafted in such a way as to protect their own uh, uh, market position um, and uh, and keep and maintain high prices for naloxone. Hmm. So they're they're pushing for some co-prescription legislation in Maryland. At the same time, at the federal level, they are filing petitions to make the competition uh, that much more difficult for competition to come in, and they're also filing patent uh, infringements uh, lawsuits. Yeah, there's a current lawsuit against uh, Teva Pharmaceuticals, and... uh, um, that's been ongoing for for a little while. I'm not really sure how it'll how it'll shake out, but my understanding is that Teva wants to introduce um, a its own its own generic version of the nasal spray. Um, and uh, I can't really speak in detail to the to the in, the the questions of law around intellectual property rights, but it seems uh, obvious enough that a second producer of uh, having a second producer of the nasal spray should put 
the downward pressure on on price, which is precisely why um, Adapt wouldn't want them to to enter the market. The primary offenders, I'll call it, of this price gouging would be Adapt, Kaleo. Who else? Um, Adapt, Kaleo, Aspira, Mylan, and Westward. Those are the companies that I recall being involved in the market. Yeah. Well, th- this is uh, just, uh, again, I, amazing to me that at the time of crisis this way that you you have uh, yet still, it, it would appear profits are uh, at the center of this and profits at all costs. So uh, I want to thank you for uh, your reporting on this. And just, uh, Daniel, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners about what you've learned and what you think can be done to solve this problem? Well, I, I, uh, I thank you for having me. And I guess the, the last thing I, I would say is with all my reporting on the the opioid crisis, um, the, 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 the one piece of good news or, or silver lining is the way that I see the family members and loved ones of people uh, who have, have died um, to, to opioid overdoses mobilizing to save other people's lives in the future. And, if I, and I think that if the community of people impacted by the opioid crisis are able to, to also mobilize um, against these pharmaceutical companies um, profiteering from naloxone. Um, if that's something that, that people, that, that, con- that congressmen and senators start hearing about the same way that there was an uproar over the EpiPen price gouging, um, I think that could have a major a major impact. I think there's a, a really impressively mobilized community of, of, of parents and siblings and and uh, and uh, and others and friends who've lost people to the crisis out there. And if that if those mobilized people who are whose whose response to losing someone is to save other people's lives, which is a beautiful thing, if that if that if that mobilization can be directed against pharma exploitation of this crisis, um, I think I think there could be some real hope for change then. So here's what we've learned. Demand for naloxone continues to skyrocket, aided in part by the fact that more first responders than ever across America are carrying Narcan. Clinicians now co-prescribe naloxone for their patients who use opioids. Many people now in high-risk communities stock naloxone in their medicine cabinets. And finally, fentanyl and carfentanil in the drug supply has dramatically increased the potency of drugs, and as a result, it often takes many more doses of naloxone to save lives. Meanwhile, the six companies who manufacture and sell naloxone have exploited demand. AlphaStar Pharmaceutical raised the wholesale price of its products 95%, from $20.34 to $39.60. Adapt Alpha came to market with a wholesale price for Narcan of $150 in 2015, while much of their R&D costs, surprisingly enough, for clinical studies were actually paid by taxpayers. Kaleo, who manufactures an auto-injector naloxone device, raised the wholesale price of their product over 500% 
from $690 to $4,500 for a two-dose package. Our leaders could fix this problem by negotiating lower prices directly with the manufacturers. I'm also told that the government could even begin producing drugs for themselves. But it's clear something needs to be done about this problem. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.